0: Welcome back. So, our session tonight is the second part of a conversation I had with Dr. Dan Siegel on his book, Intra Connected. And I really recommend you listen to part one first um, if you missed it, because the themes in the conversation actually build on each other. I have designed it so that this session will start with a short overlap. So, there'll be some of the last few minutes of the first session just to give you a sense of continuity and help you re-enter the material. And as I mentioned last week, to me this is an amazingly uh, fascinating, compelling domain to explore and just profoundly relevant to our own awakening and to the healing of our world. So I very much hope you uh, immerse yourself and enjoy. Okay. Blessings. I love consilience and I actually feel a better understanding now of its power where you sense what's in common between the different traditions. And that gives you much more of a pointer, brings things to the much more probability of what's going to reflect reality than just a possibility.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And then sometimes in that consilience, you get really interesting insights that you didn't predict. For example, as a, as a therapist, you know, I work with people who've been traumatized and sometimes meditation is really hard for them, you know, and, and sometimes going into open awareness really creates a panicky feeling. So when you look at the graph, you realize that what this graph tells us is that maximal uncertainty is in pure awareness. If you just look at that graph and then you go, well, if you've been traumatized, the last thing you want, is mm-hmm. uncertainty. So mm-hmm. you construct these plateaus, for example, of a separate self or a way of defending yourself from someone who's going to hurt you. And the sad part about that constructed plateau plateaus are fine. Like if you're going to learn to swim or play tennis or drive a car, you need a plateau of skills. That's all good. But if the plateau is rigid and imprisoning you, then it becomes like this, this trap. So in the work with people who are traumatized in this framework, what's become really interesting is to be able to articulate the fear of uncertainty has kept them locked in the prison of post-traumatic adaptations. So we do gentle, careful work to just dip their toes in that plane of possibility, pull back out, dip their toes in, and then at some point they let go of the plateau of a separate identity can feel at first what can feel overwhelming. So it has a sense of awe, but it can be awful in the sense of terrifying, or it can be awesome if you bring the support to then let them in a way, stop feeling like they have to be acting like a noun, a fixed entity, but open up to the verb-like nature of life. And then through the plane of possibility, here's the amazing thing. Instead of being terrified of uncertainty in that journey of healing, they come to realize that the synonyms for uncertainty are freedom and possibility. And then doing a meditation practice of whatever sort, I mean, we have the wheel, but I think it's concilient with lots of different approaches. You know, what you wanna do is allow yourself to enter this spaciousness that you beautifully talk about Tara and so many of your meditations, where that love that is there, I can't explain why as a scientist, but I can just describe it as the reported finding that in pure awareness, the love is there. So in the prison that they had of a plateau, they had to construct. They're very alone. Then through the wheel of awareness or other practices where they can get comfortable uncertainty, they start letting the love live through them. Mm. And it's this incredible liberation. You
0: know, I love that you're You're actually grounding this, and how do you go from being traumatized and on a plateau, encased in the defended, self protected kind of self, to that uh, open awareness, to the uncertainty and that formless field? And one of the things I've discovered again and again is that the flavors of that field still have tendrils, still filter into the plateaued states. And what I mean by that is you can be traumatized and protecting yourself, but still have a taste of what it's like to feel safe in another person's arms, Mm. or still have Mm. a taste of what it's like to, to feel a tree and sense that there's some affinity with the tree. And so that if you're in that plateaued state and protecting against uncertainty, to intentionally call on the tendrils that come from the awareness itself of feeling love, of feeling connection, our gratitude, our wonder, they're all flavors that come from that formless space, actually make it safe enough to begin to dip the toe and touch into the uncertainty in a way. You have more of a field to hold it in. So I I love the model that you're offering. And the other thing that struck me with consilience is many years ago, I heard a a kind of a teaching from indigenous elders about how we're co dreaming the universe into reality, into manifesting. And that what many people report, and I've experienced myself, and I'm sure you have, is that when there's more resting in or a sensing of that whole, of that empty, but alive kind of wholeness, then there's more possibility of intending from a sense of what you care about, what's good, what's beautiful, intending to uh, manifest something. You have more capacity to call on that possibility in an intentional way to keep evolving. And and in a way, you're co-dreaming the universe into creation from your intention, because you're resting more in that formless space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a um, practical point of view, in terms of how one lives one's life, or if you're working as a client or patient, you're doing therapy, or you're the therapist, or you're a teacher, you're a parent, you know, this practical aspect of what you're saying, from the science perspective, in terms of wording it, is you might say something like, You know, number one, there are two realms that quantum physics has established. The big controversy that people chase me down the hall with is, does this relate to mental experience like feelings or consciousness or thoughts? Um, And that's what the scientists are pushing back. They're saying, why are you relating quantum physics to the mind? I said, well, why not? It's one reality. And especially if the mind is an emergent property of energy, why not turn to the science of energy? So that's that. But what it tells us is that just to compare these two realms is that when you're raising a child or you're working hard in therapy or just a citizen on earth, in your Newtonian manifestation, you know, a couple of things exist. The separation across space, it exists. It's true. The separation across what we call time, there's a directionality of change called the arrow of time that in some physics views only exists in the Newtonian realm. In the Newtonian realm, there are entities that are noun-like things that we can hold, a body, we can hold a tennis racket, we can hold um, you know, uh, this fix-like thing. But if we compare all that in the Newtonian macro-state realm to the quantum realm, which is part of the one reality we live in, then we start realizing, number one, there are no nouns. There are no entities, there are just verb-like unfoldings even an electron and a photon are called probability fields, you know? And those fields have a whole set of processing dimensionality to them. They're not entities you can hold until as the study shows, you know, you observe them, then they go from this wide range of possibilities into a particle. And that's something we can talk about, but that's the observer effect, you know, that's a fascinating issue that hasn't been resolved why that happens, but that's kind of a part of what you're talking about. But the second thing is that, you know, because of non locality, things that in Newtonian body form we would say, oh, they're separated, have now been proven. The Nobel Prize given for this. Mm-hmm. In 2015, a paper called Closing the Final Loophole was published in a very established, peer reviewed, rigorous uh, physics journal saying it's no longer a question that at the level of the quantum realm, something that in the Newtonian terms we would say is you know 5,000 miles away can instantaneously influence something that it's been entangled with or coupled with even stars across light years away have been shown to have entanglement so
0: isn't everything that, entangled coming from the same big Bang so to speak
1: well you could say that yeah and and the thing is you know from a mental side you know I've, I've asked people like, have you had a communication or some signal from a human being who's at least physically separated from you that was so specific, you know, it couldn't have been a coincidence? And about 85% of people say yes. Now, when I was saying this recently to a bunch of computer scientists on a trip I was on, they pushed back and say, Isaac Asimov would speak up if he was alive and he would say, You're wrong. That's not some entanglement and the mind experience it. It's just pure coincidence that all the times you think you're communicating with someone far away that don't happen and the few times it does are significant because you think it's something real it's just a coincidence so I want to honor their pushback and at the same time when you hear the specifics of stuff that I myself have experienced but other people actually describe it is so specific you can't even imagine how that specific image of something happening someone you love And it doesn't happen to people you don't love. This is the thing that's interesting. So in terms of this question, is everything entangled? Perhaps it is on some level.
0: It's a matter of degrees. It's a matter of degrees. And so when
1: you really are in a relationship with someone, it may be that what that means is your energy fields have become coupled with each other. Mm -hmm. And that may be what love is. And maybe that what you're describing earlier, when you drop into that open presence, which why this open awareness, this hub of the wheel in that metaphor, why love is the thing, I don't know, but it's like a linking and maybe love from a scientific point of view really means linking. So when you're really love connected to someone, when you're linked with someone, you're entangled. And then at the realm of the quantum experience, if this is true, because it could be wrong, I want to just emphasize that so no one chases me down the hallway, (laughs) but if it's right, what it means is that, you know, you have these resonating experiences across spatial separation, And then the time business is amazing. And, you know, when you do just an exercise of, from the big bang, you know, 13 billion years ago to now, one way of describing it is a kind of space of possibility, which was what reality was. And then once that space had this big bang experience, things start emerging from possibility into actualities that we call matter. And then as the matter distributes itself in Newtonian terms across what we call space, then you get the realm of Newtonian where things are really huge expanses. And I know you went your son once in uh, to you know, the cosmic journey. And so you see this Newtonian space. But in the realm of the quantum experience, which maybe awareness really is resting in, then it's all connected, like you're saying. And so you can feel your identity. I I talk about it in the book uh, as an identity lens. You could say, Yes, I have a body. And if I widen that identity lens across space, I'm all living beings. And then if I widen it even further, I'm all of reality. And if I widen it even further, I'm across space. I'm into what in Newtonian terms we call the past. In Newtonian terms, we call the future. But in the quantum realm, there's no directionality of change. So there's no time variable in those equations. So then you go, Whoa. I'm just on this journey of being and you go, yeah. And if I drop into awareness, I actually can free myself up from the Newtonian. It's an illusion only if it believes it's the whole story because you do have a body. So we say the illusion of the separate self, meaning the illusion that the separate the vision of a solo self is the only source of your, I, I call it a spa, you know, your sensation perspective and agency is one way of defining what the self is. So you then Take this identity lens, and you hugely expand your sensation, perspective, and agency in and out, and then life becomes like this incredibly exciting journey of love.
0: You know that this is so beautiful, and I'm just want to say, if you're listening, you know you're going to listen about three times <laughs> or more. Um, it made me think of my favorite quote in the world, when you talk about expanding outward but also sensing the interior space, and that is that uh, Sreena Sargadatta says, love tells me I'm everything, and wisdom tells me I'm no thing, and between the two my life flow. And my experience is that when we're um resting in awareness it's not until we sense the manifestation the newtonian world come into place that that the love is expressed mm. that's where it's expressed in the relational field that comes you know through the manifestation that we both can feel our connection, but we can also feel our connection to all the trees and to all of space and we're everything and it's all a part of us. And then when we go inward, and it's not really inward because there's no in and out, but when we sense the uh, interior space, that formless field of possibility, there's no thingness there. So there is that sense of that emptiness and utter openness And they're inextricable.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, on the practical level, someone's, let's say, studying with you, Tara, and, and learning to go into that open, spacious way of just being, then they have the opportunity in many ways to learn the skill of dropping from the Newtonian illusion of separation to the quantum reality of connection. And then when they feel the wholeness, that yes, I do have a body, that's the inner me. I do have a wholeness, that's the we. Put them together, that's the interconnected we. You know, then the love can infuse what happens on the Newtonian level. But I'll tell you a very quick story. I referred to a parliamentarian. I was asked to do the Wheel of Awareness for a parliament that was having some trouble um, with some issues going on in the country. And we did it. These were not meditators, they were (laughs) government officials. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not meditators, but in this case, um, none of them had meditated before. They came uh, to this immersion trying to figure out how to solve problems. During the break, after we did some sharing, one of the parliamentarians came up to me and he said, you know, I couldn't share. Do you want to know why? I said, yeah, tell me why. And that's the person who said, I felt so much love. I felt so connected to everyone and everything and now he's crying. When I did that, Going into the hub, Do you know that part? I said, yeah, I know that part. And we're just sitting there quiet with each other. And so then after some silence, I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, sure. I said, you didn't want to share that during the sharing time. He goes, oh, no, no. He said, if I say love, he points over to his colleagues. He goes, they would think I was weak.
0: Mm.
1: And then there's this silence. Mm. So I said, okay, you didn't want to appear weak. He goes, no, no, no. I said, so can I ask you another question? He goes, sure. I said, so when you're making federal law, are you leaving love out of the reasoning? And his eyes get really, really big and he starts wagging his finger at me and he runs over to his colleagues. I don't know what they said, but we can only hope they could have the wisdom you're talking about, which is that we express that love through our Newtonian macro state actions that do influence federal policy, local policy, the way we communicate in the family, how we are in a relationship, how we are within ourselves, within the bodily self, you know? So this is where... In that parliamentarian's experience was such a, a vision of, of one of the challenges we have, that if pure awareness, in fact, is connection, open awareness, and love, somehow threads of this tapestry of reality, but people are lost in plateaus away from that uncertainty and spaciousness of the verb-like plane of possibility, then those plateaus that you learn you know, from your parents, from your teachers, from your peers, from society, that tell you you're separate, create this plateau of separation that keeps you from the love and the possibility and freedom of that plane of the open awareness. So I think part of why the work you do, the work contemplative offerings can do in modern culture, is to take this moment in human cultural evolution and say, business as usual, is getting us into deep trouble whether it's racism and social injustice or polarization and misinformation or you know the climate crisis and we're excessively differentiating ourselves thinking human beings don't need to be a part of nature in fact we don't even define we say humanity and nature no we are nature but instead we treat earth like a trash can then you say well what's the splinter that's getting us to limp in business as usual so in a way, I think what contemplative practices do, I think what indigenous wisdom is suggesting we do too. And I think what science can support those ancient invitations is to say, let's take off the shoe of modern society. Let's look at what's beneath the sock. And let's look at the soul of your foot in the metaphor, but it's really the soul of the psyche in modern times. And we say, what if, it were something as simple as mistaken identity, of saying your identity is just who you are, and take the word self, is the body, or bodies like yours, you know, a plural individuality. And then people who are not like you are kind of the outgroup, or species that are not like you are the outgroup. Then what happens is if you start being taught that everything you perceive is through that, that lens, that filter. So, you only perceive what you believe. So, now we have an invitation. You know, we have a brief window of time on this planet to realize something terribly wrong is going on. And what if ancient contemplative wisdom, ancient indigenous teachings have a consilient way of coming to the same conclusion? And now, what I hope this interconnected book does is just add a lifespan journey to go, here are the windows of opportunity that science builds on these ancient invitations to say, this might be the splinter. And then instead of like freaking out and going, oh my God, it's a disaster. These threats are making us fight or flee or freeze or faint. And we collapse in exhaustion because we had the courage to care. What if instead we see these challenges and develop this challenge mindset instead of a threat mindset, and then learn to dance with the challenge and ask, what's the music of today? And if the music is allowing us to dance as we remove the splinter, and then we can do it in a more balanced way, I think together we can actually make this happen, you know, with all the ancient invitations, all the scientific additions to that ancient conversation and have practical tools like the ones you beautifully teach to actually bring this into people's lives.
0: So just to take a few moments now to ground what it means to remove the splinter, because I love that you're bringing where the suffering is uh, individually when we get plateaued and caught in this limited idea of a separate self, we forget our larger belonging. And I would say that points to the core suffering in our world right now, which is the kind of dividedness that keeps us at war and keeps us oppressing, keeps patriarchy there, and really keeps, you know, humans at odds. So to remove the splinter means to take groups of people that get identified. We have such a culture war. If we just take our country right here in the United States, where it's totally Newtonian plateaued groups, where, and it's getting worse because the more Fear and stress there is in in the atmosphere. The more people get rigid and tight and identified in the us against the them. So, given that one, Dan, we want to say, well, how do we remove the splinter when groups are being fed different information and they have their filters that keep them mistrusting others, having contempt towards others, hostility towards others, and as we know, culture wars turn into real wars, like violent wars. So what I want to pose to you is, if you imagine bringing together two groups that are at odds, and we can say in this country, and this is very stereotyping, but just to say the right and the left uh, politically, let's say, uh, white, Christian, uh, feels like they're being replaced, uh, mistrusts, mistrust others, wants to get rid of, you know, things in the curriculum that might point to uh, racial kind of differentiation, so on. And you put, you know, them together with lefts who are progressive and, you know, feeling like care about human rights and so on. You have them together for a week in in a space. How do you help them work with their identities that are so Wedged in and hostile to sense Mui? Yeah.
1: Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful, and really important question. Um, so I will respond to with some questions because it's not like I have the answer to that incredibly important life determining uh, question, which is so beautifully articulated by you. So let me, let me share a couple of responses. One is a story and one is just a vocabulary we can use. The vocabulary part of it is to remember that in Greek terms, there's at least two different ways of knowing. One is conceptual knowing called noesis. Another is experiential knowing called gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. The noesis is N-O-E-S-I-S. So there's a balance of the two. So if an effort like in that week you're suggesting we think about is only noetic, if it's only about concepts, it's not gonna work. So it's gotta be experiential, but to give it a conceptual frame, so both work together. The story I'll just share with you is, um, there was such a meeting where Elijah Cummings, the Congressman from Baltimore, who was in the US Congress, uh, asked me to come to Baltimore and work with uh, the, the racial tensions between blacks and whites in that city so we brought people together who had never been in the same room together. And you could feel the tension uh, of the in-group versus the out-group in both directions. So we did the wheel of awareness practice as a you know, scientific-based reflective practice that integrates consciousness. And the tension started melting away when people experienced the hub. And they even would say, when I came in this room, I saw you as an enemy, but now I see you as a friend. And Elijah was going, well, what happened? What, what was the magic in that? I said, well, it wasn't magic. It was you know, basically dropping people out of plateaus by getting to this open awareness. Now, not everyone's going to be open to that. So I think we need to think about something beyond just, let's have people do this, or like the parliamentarian who got in touch with the love because he was given the opportunity to do a practice, in this case, the wheel, but it could be many other practices. So the first thing to say is people need experiential knowing. From a lifespan development, what I tried to do and in interconnected is say, how do we address this question across the lifespan with something called pervasive leadership, which is a term Arthur Zion's introduced to me, me too, which is every human being has the capacity to actually make a difference. And if we identify the splinter, we can all be involved in removing that splinter. So for a parent, it would be raising a child to realize that who they are is not just Tara in that body. There's the experience of the body of Tara and there's the experience of you with your friends, you with all of humanity, you with all of nature. And if you want to go full on, you say you across time, you are your ancestors, you are your descendants. And there's a way of raising children that way. Teachers in school, looking at the lifespan moments of windows of opportunity can see that there's a me that you're encouraging to develop the child's gonna exercise, or to eat well, and there are other me's. So there's an interconnected thing, but the we of that relationality and the me go together and they can actually teach kids in school to be interconnected. So we have to work with the younger folks, but we don't have time, unfortunately, to just make this happen in homes and schools. We have to work with companies. We have to work with governments. So some, some work I'm doing with something called inner development goals is to bring these ideas as a backdrop to what the United Nations is doing, trying to look at the sustainability development goals, which are addressing these problems we're talking about and how we address them. And in fact, we're not making good progress. So the Swedish group, the inner development goals, came up with another way of saying, what's going on in the mind that's blocking our progress on the planet to try to Deal with inequity, to try to deal with poverty, to try to deal with famines, to try to deal with climate climate crisis. So my small contribution there is to bring this contemplative, indigenous, and science view that says you know a separate self, or even saying the word self, is the same as the individual, can start to change things. Now, in a company that is built around profits, it's really you can feel this movement actually around the world. You can see that there's a different way of defining that term what if profit isn't just the money you make but the positive generation of kindness and compassion and well-being for yes. a greater good so it's a shift that Dacker keltner in the greater good center at science center at uc berkeley you know would al- would also look into the three emotions that you'd want to encourage awe gratitude and compassion that i know you teach and and in the science view are called self transcendent emotions. But what I said to dacker was, we got to rename those. It can be self-expanding, so that you realize the earth is the self. And then, you know, my deepest hope is that I don't have the answer to exactly how we do it. But if people start shifting, even something as simple, and this may sound idealistic, and certainly it's an ideal, but I think it's realistic too. If people start changing how they use the word self and think I need to work hard to make myself, you know, stronger, healthier, whatever, and they expand that to realize there's an inner self and a relational self. Then I think in a pervasive leadership way, people are going to find their ways to dance with the challenges that are here. And there are going to be specific things we could do like a retreat, like you're saying, bring all sorts of folks in a position of leadership to such a retreat, but we can't bring 8 billion of us to that. But we can start having conversations, one relationship at a time to start really addressing this issue in a, in a timely way. This isn't something that's gonna wait 20, 30 years. This is the decade
0: yeah, no. for us
1: to wake up to the error of the separate solo self and realize that who the self is, is all of us or all of them once, you know, together. Yeah. And that's not to get rid of the me, but to embrace the we and have them together as we, you know, and this is the time to do it. But having conversations like right now, this is the beginning of saying, this is how we did in our company. This is how we did in our government. I mean, I'm working at the state of California, looking at how we actually enhance belonging here in this state, but other states can do that. You do it in a community level. Um, There's all sorts of ways that we can just begin. And as, you know, Joanna Macy, the wonderful Uh, activists uh, for decades would tell us, you know, we can move towards this great turning with, in her view, a quantum change in consciousness. And this may be literally the quantum change in consciousness we need about who we are.
0: Mm, Beautiful. And I love what you're saying, if we're going to have that change It has to include both the understanding that there's this mistaken sense of self, there's something more that self's included in, and also the experiential. And most people have touched it. It's just that they don't pay attention to it. It's in those moments of wonder and gratitude and feeling connected that they realize, oh, if they looked into the hub, into awareness, there's no solid separate self anymore, And those Mm -hmm. moments were more, it's more amorphous. And the only thing I'd like to add to what you described in, if you brought these two groups together, um, what you did so beautifully with Elijah Cummings in Baltimore, there's the inner work, like doing the practices you and I are both teaching, of sensing how we're paying attention and then coming into a larger sense of presence. There's also the relational work of what happens in the communication, that there's a training there too on how to pay attention. So if I think of us in this conversation, at the beginning I shared with Dan that I just lost my pup. And because that's a very real vulnerable place in me and sensing his resonance, he too has lost a dog. And I'm sure many of you have too, It was like a way of me being vulnerable and real and something that was bigger than where we might be in our separate Dan and Tara body minds that immediately created a sense of the Mui right here. And then as you've been speaking, I've been really just so appreciating um, your passion, your clarity, your depth, and, and how much it offers, and that actually by looking towards the goodness of what's happening, that too creates more of a field. So I think that when we get groups of others together that have bad-othered each other, that really are stuck, there needs to be processes in communicating where, what what is it we share where there's vulnerability? What are the values of goodness we see in each other? And, and to build on that so that there's a You know, what William Urey calls the third side. It's like we have the two sides, and then there's a larger space of where we really do share and do care together. And my sense is we don't, we have to pay attention to lifespan, and we need to start getting groups of um, divided others together to find out that we, how they're interconnected, um, that it is going to be from a change of consciousness. It's not going to be policy. We need, we need good technology and policy but it's the consciousness. Now you've been pointing to to me a really powerful tool which you created the the um you know the whole sense of coming into the hub of awareness and I'm wondering if you can give us a brief taste of the wheel of awareness because I'm sure that everyone listening as that doesn't know of it is curious now is can sure.
1: you do that with us? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. I know people who often are part of your community are familiar with meditation. And, and so we can do it. If you're not, it's hard to just dive in. So I don't like to do like a snippet of it. But um, I'm just wondering the best way to do this. You can always go to my website, you know, and drdansegal.com and do the wheel. We've had people just come there and, and, and uh, stream it from there. So... Um, it's hard to do a brief one, because to do the full one is like 25 minutes. Uh, but I can just sort of walk you through part of it, if you want, and uh, whatever, whatever you think, Tara.
0: Either that or some taste in a guided kind of process of what it really is like to expand our sense of who we are. Mm. Some taste.
1: Okay, well, maybe that that we let's do a practice like that. Um, you know, the Uh, The image of the wheel is helpful in that it lets you realize that awareness, which we put in the hub of this wheel, is distinct from what you're aware of on the rim. And those in turn are distinct from the capacity to direct energy flow, which is called attention, which we see as a metaphor of a, a singular spoke. So you can determine where your attention goes and stream that into awareness. So why don't we do a way where we're going to combine the two, where we're going to take these metaphors of a rim, uh, which is the thing you're aware of, the object of attention, if you will, the spoke, which is focusing attention, and the hub, which is awareness. Please come and do the full wheel so you can just sink into it. Here, what we'll do is just a practice on intraconnection. And we can do this if if you're able to do it. And this if you're driving, um, this would not be a good what time to do it. So you can put us on pause and later on, you know do it uh, when you're not driving. Uh, so you really want to be sitting and being able to let your attention go to all sorts of things besides the road in front of you. Um, but here's how the the practice uh, goes. If you just take your thumb and put it in front of your uh, eyes, you know uh, 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 so you can see it clearly and just look at your thumb and notice there's a, a, a fingernail there's a, uh, a digit there's the finger and move it around so this thumb has a spa it has a sensation to it as you move it you can feel it it has a perspective you know imagine being that thumb looking at the other four fingers you know it has agency it can be moving around now let the other fingers now start to move around so you're letting your attention go, not just from the thumb, but now to the whole hand and let the movement of the fingers fill awareness. And you're feeling the sensation, perhaps even imagining the perspective, if you were just the hand, what that would be. Right. And that moves around. And as an agency, you can move this hand around. And if you're someone who's paralyzed and can't be doing the movement part, just let your sense that experience. Imagine moving the hand around if you're in in bedridden or or anything. So just modify what we're doing. Then imagine the whole arm, you know, from your shoulder to your elbow, to your wrist, to the whole hand and move your arm a bit and just feel that. And just now you're getting the spa of self-experience. So science tells us that these three things are the fundamental elements when we use the word self. And sure, we have a self, and now let's go to the whole body. Then in modern culture, we put the sensation, the perspective, the agency in this body and now feel the whole body. You can move the body around a little bit. That's for the agency, you have the perspective, looking out from your eyes, hearing from your ears, feeling from your skin, just sense that now spa of the body. And that's a beautiful thing. And you do have a body if you're hearing Tara and hearing me, you have a body that's able to hear us. And now let's just feel that body move. That body is really important. And just to use spatial terms, we can use the word inner for an inner spa, an inner subjective experience, an inner perspective, an inner agency. And that's fine. But now we're going to let that sense of identity that's in the body, which is real. We're going to now let it expand. So in the space around you, perhaps what you can see with your eyes. So if you're in a room, what can see in your room, if there are other people in the room, or if you're in a field, in a in a park, or out in the forest, just let your eyes, where your eyes can span, scan to, and it spans this, what we call Newtonian space around you, just see if you can sense into the space, and just feel it. I'm in a room where I do all of my writing, and I share this with my new dog that I shared with Tara earlier, we have this space that we call home here. And I can feel the sensation of it, the perspective of this space that you can sense with other spaces outside of it, in quotes, you know, so it has a kind of identity to it. You can even act on behalf of that space, clean it up, let it be messy, whatever you like to do. I like the mess. Um, So it's my separate space. Um, And now, Let's see, and sometimes it's helpful to close your eyes for this one. See if you can let the sense of connection within this space expand beyond what you can see with your eyes to include all human beings now, let's say in your community, all human beings who you don't see with your eyes, you can't hear them, but just see if you can feel that relational field that links you together in your community. Now, let it expand to all of nature in your community, however you want to define that, to all living beings, animals, plants, fungi, all living beings. And now see if you can expand that too, this is hard, but let's go as wide as the nation in which you live, to all human beings who are your common citizens for that country, Expand it to all living beings in this nation that you live in. And we have boundaries, you know, that we say, oh, I'm this citizen, I'm that citizen. And so that's, that's a sense of identity we have too, a sensation, a perspective, an agency that we can feel, that we can act upon. And now let's take it one step further to go to all human beings, all 8 billion of us now, the human family, and just feel that connection to all of humanity right now, right here. And now widening our identity lens, just like you could a camera, narrow up to what's really close your thumb, your body. Now widen to not only include our human family, but getting this wide angle lens on all living beings on earth. And then even to all of nature, to our creeks, to clouds, sky, and just feel that connection within the whole, including the body. And this moment in time, we then feel the intra-connectedness of what we call Newtonian spatial separation is actually an illusion. That there's no real separation. There's a wholeness, an interconnectedness, a connection within the whole. And these bodies are a very important part of a whole. So we're interconnected. But as we sense and we perceive and act on behalf of the whole, it's intraconnected. And to take it even one step further, we have now in the present moment, across Newtonian spatial what's called separation we realize we dissolve the separation in the quantum experience of moving this identity lens and realizing that also besides space not separating entities there's unfolding processes verb-like experiences of emergence we now realize also at that deep open space of the hub of the wheel of awareness in that metaphor we now can extend across what in Newtonian terms we call time. Going back all the way 13 billion years to the Big Bang, when all we were, were possibility. And those possibilities then exploded into actualities that we call matter. But in no, no moment, did we actually lose the potentiality that sits within the pure awareness we can access the metaphor of the hub of the wheel, that that potentiality that is not separated across what we call the past 13 billion years ago or into the future where all our ancestors and all our descendants are us. Letting that identity lens expand then So we're not trapped in the illusion of noun-like entities that are separated in time and space, but instead access the quantum reality of the deep interconnection across what in our Newtonian bodies we name time, space, but to feel the wholeness of that as me in the body and we in these relational connections that exist in all these dimensions. And now letting this fullness of interconnection, the me plus we as we, letting that fill our awareness right now. Take a nice, deep, more intentional breath and know that this interconnected wholeness, this is always available, it's always there. And whatever we face now, letting us realize we can narrow that identity lens at will to realize we do have a body that lives in a macro state world and Newtonian properties and we stop at red lights so that we're not one with everything in an intersection. And that's fine. This relativistic world is real and the universal is also real. And they are two realms of one reality of one life that extends beyond time and space. And so whatever we might be worried about in terms of these Newtonian macrostate bodies and the challenges we face, we face them as dance partners to say, how do I let integration, the honoring of differences, the promoting of linkages, even in the face and especially in the face of these challenges arise. So what is the music of today that I will dance with my dance partner the challenge that pushes us towards the solo self of separation, the illusion that self just means the body, just means the individual. And by opening up from this noun-like mistaken identity of self being just the individual, we realize the self's experience of subjective sensation, the perspective, our point of view, the agency can involve the body, the me, and opens up across dimensions of Newtonian time and space to realize there is a greater whole with the awe, the gratitude and the compassion that lets us expand what self really means and to feel the calm and ease and access to love and liberate this freedom to explore our deep connections in the interconnected reality of our lives. Now breathing in all that we've experienced. and taking a deep, more intentional breath, will let this reflective practice of our identity lens go for now, knowing it is always there for you to use and adjust it as we move through these days of our lives together. Thank you for going on the journey.
0: Lots of gratitude to you, Dan. I don't wanna add more words to um, the experience you've just created. But I mostly want to just thank you for being with us. and um, yeah, and take these moments to thank all of you who are joining in that I trust will find in uh, this ways that give you more freedom and happiness and guide you in in helping to bring healing to our world. So blessings. Thank you.
1: Thank you.